Amen. So we're in Genesis chapter 12. We will begin looking at the life of Abram. Let's turn to Joshua 24. Always the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. So you can turn to Joshua 24. I'm going to jump around a little bit before we just dive in to Genesis 12. So we get the right order of things that are happening. The right chronological order. So in Joshua 24 verse 2. Joshua is here and he speaks to all the people. And he says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. From ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river. That's the river Euphrates, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So again, this is the beginning of Abram's life. They were serving other gods. They were idol worshipers. A lot of scholars believe that Abram's father himself was an idol maker And now we can turn to James chapter 2 and we get to see sort of the end of Abram or Abraham's life and what the transformation, the work and power of Jesus and of God and his life and what he's known as. And it should be the same for each and every one of us that we were once an idolater. I was once worshiping this or doing that, but then the Lord worked in me. The Lord did something in me and now we have a new name. And now we're known for something new and something different. But in James chapter 2, verse 23, we'll start, we'll read verse 22 and verse 23. It says, you see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Again, what a nickname, right? What a name to have, the friend of God. It's one thing to be a friend with a superstar, athlete, right? Friend of LeBron James or friend of Dwayne Wade, right? All on your Instagram, and you're showing it off to everybody. It may be another thing to be the friend of a political leader, right? Me and Queen Elizabeth, we go way back and we're super close friends and things like that. But to be able to say, man, I am the friend of God, it's a bold statement. It's a big statement. Now we can turn to Galatians chapter 3, a little bit to your left. Galatians chapter 3 and in verse 6 and 7, now we're going to see what Paul has to say about Abram. Or Abraham. Verse 6 it says, Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of the faith who are sons of Abraham. This is where a lot of people pull and they say that Abraham is the father of faith, the father of our faith. Abraham, he's the first one that took these great steps of faith in following the Lord and having a relationship and friendship with the Lord and having a constant relationship where he would worship the Lord, building altars and sacrificing the Lord, payment for his sins and sacrificing, giving a blood sacrifice. And these are amazing titles of Abraham, right? The friend of God, the father of the faith. And I love the Bible because the Bible doesn't hide all the mistakes and imperfections that this man will make. They are all there and they are all clear. And there's two great things for us to pull from this. 
The first one is as you go through the New Testament, there's nothing but great things to say about Abram and Abraham. And that's how the Lord looks at us, that if we're washed in the blood of Jesus, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, God now sees us as perfect. He sees us as justified, just as if we have never sinned. But there needs to be that true belief, like we just read in James, faith that shows works. It's not just saying, hey, I love you, but I never spend time with you, and I'm cheating on you, and I took all your money from you. That's not love, right? It's love through works. It's proving it. It's showing it through thick and thin. And it's the same thing with us and our love with the Lord. The next thing for us to be reminded of is that God does not use perfect people. Why doesn't God use perfect people? Because perfect people don't exist. That's why God doesn't use perfect people. Perfect people don't exist. And lots of times we say, God, you can't use me. I've done X, Y, or Z. Zach, I can never serve at the church here if I only knew who I used to be. But there's no such thing as a perfect person. There's a lot of people that complain about church, that it's filled with imperfect people and hypocrites. But it's just like Publix, right? It's just like Publix, just like a gas station, just like the highway. It's filled with hypocrites and with imperfect people. Finally, let's go to Acts chapter 7. And now we'll get to see what Stephen, this guy who was just a waiter, he was waiting on tables and yet he was filled with the Spirit, filled with the Lord. And in Acts chapter 7 verse 2, he's able to share with us more insight on the life of Abram. Acts chapter 7 verse 2 through 4, it tells us, And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. And then he left the land of the Chaldeans and he settled in Haran. And from there, after his father died, God had him moved to this country in which you are now living. So now we can go to Genesis chapter 12. What we see here in Acts is that the Lord spoke to Abraham while he was still in home, while he was still in Ur of the Chaldeans, while he was still in Mesopotamia. If you remember those first couple grades of history, right, you got the Fertile Crescent, the Euphrates, the Tigris, right, all the rivers. And this is the area that Abraham is living, Abram, and he's living in Ur of the Chaldeans. And now in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, we get that same picture here that Stephen told us in Acts. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. To the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So there's three main commands that God gives to Abraham. The first one is leave his country. That was the first thing the Lord asked us. He said, hey, Abram, I need you to leave your country. The second thing was, hey, Abram, I need you to leave your relatives. And finally, he says, I need you to come into the land that I will show you. So 
three main commandments for Abram. And with those three commandments, there's a couple promises, three main promises to focus in on. God tells him, I will make you a great nation. The second one is that God is going to bless him and make his name great. And finally, in you, Abram, all the families or all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it's important to know we have the whole book. We get to read the, watch the end of the movie before it happens in a sense. And we know that through Abraham's line, we will get the Jewish people, which is where we get the Old Testament from, which is through which Jesus comes from and is born, is crucified on the cross and resurrects to give us, right? That's why we're here. That's why we're gathered here together on a Sunday morning. And we're all here at church to gather together and spend time reading the word and saying, Lord, what do you have to show us? You can just quickly write down Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. It says, worthy are you to take the book and break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people and every nation. That through Jesus we have all sorts of people here, different age groups, different demographics, different nationalities. And it's all because of, again, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And through him, all the nations of the world, every family will be blessed, again, if they turn to Jesus. This is an amazing promise that Abraham is given. Let's go to Genesis 11, verse 29 through 32. And we'll continue to get and grasp the full beginning of Abram's life before we just continue on verse by verse through the rest of chapter 12. In Genesis 11, verse 29 through 32, it tells us, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah and Iscah. And Sarai was barren, and she had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So again, the reminder to us, what were the three main commandments? Leave your country, leave your family, and come to the land that I'm showing you. But now when we read here in Genesis chapter 11, verse 29 through 32, it says they went out together. So is Abram being obedient to the Lord? Kind of, right? Kind of. It's like a half obedience, right? In fact, he does out of the three commandments, he does 1.5 of them, right? He's doing one and a half of the things. He's starting to, hey, I left Ur of the Chaldeans, but he stopped before the Lord told him to stop. I love the word there. It says that they settled there. They settled there. So there's one thing for us to focus in on. This land of Ur, it was a metropolis. When they went and they excavated there, they looked at everything that was there. They had hot tubs and hot springs. They had medicine. They had geometry. It was a metropolis that Abram and his family lived in. Now, when God is calling them to move to Canaan, it's like if the Lord spoke to you this Sunday morning and says, hey, I want you to leave Miami and I want you to start walking to Wyoming, right? I want you to start moving and settling toward North Dakota. This is where I'm calling you to move to, right? 
I want you to go and be a missionary in Sudan. Leave everybody, leave everything, and go live in the bush in the middle of Sudan. That is what the Lord's calling Abram to do here. That is the context of what's happening here. But Abram, he's taking a huge step of faith. He's leaving the metropolis. He's leaving everything he's known. He's leaving the comforts, the habas, the math, the medicine. And he's saying, all right, God, that I just met, that you just spoke to me. I believe in you. I'm trusting you. You are the one true God. And this does take immense faith. But yet Abram's partial obedience will cost him greatly. The same with each and every one of us. Partial obedience or delayed obedience, it costs us. It comes with a great price. It's interesting because Abraham's father's name is Terah. And Terah in the Hebrew means delay. Means delay. This guy was always on Cuban time, right? This guy's name is delay. And then it says the land which they stopped in and settled in was called Haran, which means parched or barren. That word parched, it's when you're trying to feel fancy, right? And you say, hey, I'm parched. Do you have some water or some Coke or something to drink? It's when you're thirsty. There's nothing going on. That word barren, it's when there's no fruit. When you have a tree that's giving no fruit, it's a barren tree. Or when a woman can't have a child, they say that she is barren. And now, family, the question for us as we look at these verses is, are you feeling dry in your spiritual walk? Are you feeling just dry in life? Is there any spiritual fruit in your life? Do you see that agape love abounding in your life because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're eating God's word, you're having this joy no matter what's going on? Or are you dry? Are you parched? Are you barren? Is there no fruit coming out of your life? And it's always a great question to ask the Lord, Lord, am I settling? Am I okay with being mediocre in my relationship with you? Lord, am I stopping halfway? Am I only partially obeying? Lord, am I delaying obedience in what you have asked me to do? Because family, the Lord cannot bless partial or delayed obedience. Because if the Lord would bless that, then we would all stay there. We would stop right then and there and say, hey, God, this is enough. I don't have to obey you 100%. And I'm still going to get the blessing. I'm still going to get the honor. And I'm good right here. And we would be missing out on the joy of having a life that's completely sold out for the Lord. We had Pastor Billy here. And he looked at the difference of Solomon's life and the Apostle Paul's life. And Solomon was a man, he says, whatever my eyes looked upon, I did it. Whatever my heart desired, I took it, I ate it, I did everything I want, right? Richest man ever, wisest man ever, had the palace, had a thousand women. So every single desire that Solomon would ever have, he'd be able to fulfill it right away. And at the end of his life, he's like, man, everything's vain, everything's empty, everything's pointless, all of life is in these things, right? Fear God and keep his commandments. But now you have Paul's life who's been beaten up several times. He's been shipwrecked several times. He's been battered. He's been bruised. He's dying in a jail cell. And he's able to say, hey, guys, I'm about to go on a cruise. I'm about to go on a cruise. The life that I'm about to go into, man, I am ready. I've ran my course. I fought my fight. I am ready to go home. 
And it's a great reminder to us that this world tells us to fulfill the flesh and fulfill the flesh and fulfill the flesh. But we're always empty afterwards. We always feel gross afterwards. We start questioning, was that worth it? Why did I spend all that money? That meal wasn't really that good, even though I blew 100 bucks on it, right? That vacation, I'm more tired on it. And now I got to work even harder to pay the debt that I just got into for that vacation. That car really wasn't worth that much money, right? And whenever we just fulfill our flesh, we're always left hungry. We're always left empty. We're always left wanting more. But now when we obey the Lord and follow the Lord, we're able to have no regrets. We're able to say, Lord, I'm ready for whatever you have. And that's why we need to fully obey the Lord and obey as soon and as quickly as possible. Let's turn to Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15. And in 1 Samuel 15, we'll look at verse 11 and then verse 22 and 23. And in verse 11, the Lord is speaking to the prophet Samuel and God tells him, I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and he has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. And then in verse 22, Samuel speaking to Saul now, he tells him, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Family, I need to take my disobedience more seriously. I have to. Every time I oppose the authority of God, every time I fail or refuse to obey him, I need to be quick to repent. I need to be quick to say, Lord, I'm sorry. And Lord, what was my last command? Let me do that right away. It uses three words here, maybe a little bit different in your Bible. The first one is the sin of divination. Divination, it's using omens or magic powers to tell the future. It's not Miss Cleo because she was fake, but it's the people that use satanic things or witchcraft to try to tell the future. The next one is iniquity which is just complete injustice and complete wickedness. The next one is idolatry, and that's worshiping an idol as a god. And we look at our disobedience, and we're usually pretty chill about it. We disobey the stop sign, and we think nothing of it, right? We disobey the red light, and as long as there's no cops around, it's all good. We disobey our boss when they tell us not to do certain things or to act a certain way. We disobey our parents or our pastors, our leaders, and we think it's no big deal. But I, after reading this, I'm convicted to look at disobedience in a different light. Would we be okay backsliding into any of these things, right? We disobey someone that we love and we think it's no big deal. And we say, ah, I sort of messed up there. But if someone would come into your room and all of a sudden you have tarot cards and the lights are off and you got a Ouija board and some frog eyes and a monkey brain and a little doll and you're humming or something. You say, hey, Zach, this isn't a big deal. I'm just trying to tell the future, right? 
just trying to call on a couple demons and see what's going on. It's not that big of a deal, right? That would not be the case. They'd be calling Pastor Raz, the pastors, hey, we got to pray for so-and-so. They are not doing well whatsoever, right? Not doing well whatsoever. That next one, iniquity, complete injustice or wickedness, right? Hey, I just disobeyed. It's not that big of a deal. It's different than, man, Zach, you got to forgive me. I just started a Ponzi scheme, and I'm just stealing from all the poor and using their money, and now I got a Rolls Royce and Lexus. You would forgive me, right? It's not that big of a deal. Right? Not at all. We catch you out in A Street and 122nd and you're getting the old water bottles from church and filling them up from the hose and you're hot gluing all the wrappers so that they seem, hey, it's not that big of a deal, right? It's just a little backsliding. The last one is idolatry, worshiping an idol as a god. Again, that your kids would come into your room and you got a little Buddha in the corner and you got some grape spite and some cheese and you're praying and and the Lord will forgive me. I'm just worshiping another idol. It's no big deal. And we would, we would go nuts if anybody we loved would do any of these things. We would not see it as it's just okay and not a big deal. And it's convicting to us that we need to see disobedience for what it is. And it's challenging God. Right? The whole book of Genesis, we said the theme is who's the boss. And whenever we disobey God, what we're telling him is, you're not the boss. I'm the boss. God, you don't know what's best. I know what's best. And it's dangerous because parents, this creeps into our relationship with our kids. Our kids disobey and we don't think anything of it. Our kids disobey and we say it's just a phase. It's just a season. They will grow out of it. But again, would we be okay walking into our kids' rooms and seeing them casting spells and doing all sorts of crazy things? Would we be okay with them setting up Ponzi schemes and stealing all the money from their other classmates? Would we be okay if they're worshiping an idol that they have carved out of their own hands and say it's not that big of a deal? May we guard and protect our kids and may we guard and protect one another, the people we love, the people that we're responsible for, and protect ourselves from thinking that disobedience isn't that big of a deal. It wrecks us. It hurts us. It harms us. And many times like David, because we're being disobedient, we feel bad calling out other people. We feel bad calling out our kids because I'm being disobedient to God. So how can I call my kids out for being disobedient? And we're ripping them off. We're ripping them off from God's best and we're allowing them to go through unneeded pain and problems because we're not being obedient to the Lord as parents. May we be more obedient in this. Disobedience is a huge deal. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. It tells us, So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Again, at this point, Abram's father has to die in Haran for him to finally be willing to continue to move towards the land of Canaan. And how many years have gone by? How many years have been wasted in delaying his obedience to the Lord? Again, family, what has the Lord asked of you? What is he asking you to put to death? What is he asking you to take on? What is he asking you to do for his kingdom? Be quick to obey. Be quick to cut things off. 
And Abram still here in verse 4, is he being obedient to the Lord? He's still bringing relatives with him. He's still taking Lot with him. And again, it's a sob story. It will hurt our emotions. Lot's father died. Abram's brother passed away and now Lot is either an orphan or only has his mom. But what God asked of Abram was to go alone. Just him and his wife and be obedient to the Lord. And because of this, Lot will be a huge thorn in Abram's side. Lot will be nothing but a distraction, a pain, someone that he needs to go and rescue out of harm's way, someone he needs to be constantly looking after, someone who's fighting with their own servants, someone who's always causing friction in Abram's life. Again, we need to be obedient, not one and a half percent or one and a half out of three, not two out of three. We need to be all in. And it's very important because we'll see throughout Abram's life that he builds many altars to the Lord. All throughout Abram and Abraham's life, you see him stopping and building an altar and worshiping God. But you won't see Lot doing that. You won't see Lot doing that. Lot is all about what his eyes see. It says he lifted up his eyes to Sodom and Gomorrah and he saw it was good. All of Lot's decisions were based on making more money, based on gaining more power, based on what is most comfortable for him. And in the end, it costed his family, it costed his wife, it costed his notoriety, his son-in-laws, it costed him everything. Verse 6, Genesis chapter 12, it says, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. And now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing towards the Negev. We see Abram within these couple of verses two times building an altar there to the Lord. And building an altar to the Lord, it's a habit that, again, we will see in the life of Abram. And I believe it's important for us to realize that as in the seasons, in the cities, in the towns, when Abram is sitting down and building an altar and sacrificing and worshiping the Lord, he's doing great. He is the model of the father of our faith. He is the model of the friend of God. This is when Abraham is having his best days. However... When he's focused on the trial that he's in, when he's focused on his fears, when he's focused on his promise not being met, this is when he fails each and every time. And how can we apply this, family? Whenever we make decisions based on the trial, based on fear, and based on unmet expectations, it will usually lead to our greatest failures. But when we're focused on the Lord, when we're submitting to him, when we're sacrificing to him, when we're worshiping him, it helps us stay on track. And it protects us from making bad, unbiblical decisions that always have lasting consequences. Always, guys. It always has lasting consequences. And that's what we'll see in the life of Abram. Again, many times we always are looking at, you want me to serve more? You want me to go to church more? You want me to bring my kids to church more? Do you know the gas? Do you know the time? Do you know the money? Do you know the hours? 
But we never look at the blessings. We never think of the eternal blessings and put that in the scale to say, hey, is this worth it? Is this worth it for me to buy into? And so often I'm so blessed talking to people. When they jump into serving more, jump into focusing on the Lord more, the blessings they get. The next thing to look at here is Abram, he pitched his tent. He's making a tent. So again, you have a man that's coming from the metropolis, and now he's dropping a tent, going little by little. And this is super convicting to me. You see, some people, they're super into camping. I'm like kind of into camping, right? There's some people that are totally into it. I'm into camping when there's very specific parameters. When it's between 50 and 70 degrees, I'm all about camping. When there's running water right outside of my tent, I'm all into camping. When there's fresh food and hunting or swamp buggies or ATVs, man, I am all about hunting, right? Some of you guys are brave or like pain or humidity a little bit much, right? And you go camping in the Everglades in the middle of the summer, you guys are like Abraham, right? I I respect you guys. But this is so convicting. You see, Abram, even though he's walking through the land that God himself has promised him, the land that God himself has promised his children, the only land that Abram ever owns within that nation is his burial plot. The only piece of property that he will ever own, that he will ever purchase, is the place where he will be buried. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 10, and then we'll read verse 14 through 16. It tells us in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham, he didn't care about a home. He didn't care about trying to rebuild what he had in earth because the only thing he cared about was his home in heaven. All he cared about was his relationship with the Lord and being obedient to him. So he didn't care what his home on this planet looked like. In Hebrews 11 verse 14 through 16, it tells us, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Family, which home, which city, which country do we spend most of our time thinking about? Where is your mind? Where is your priority? Where is your time and resources? Because if all of our priority is in this planet and in this home, you're missing out. You're missing out. We need to live in this planet. Like if we live in tents, we don't care about what it looks like. We are caring about the future. We're caring about our true home. We're caring about the nation, the place that God himself is building for us, his bride, the body of believers. And lots of times Christians, they get into trouble. I love being a patriot. Being a patriot is good, but are we more concerned with America than we are with heaven? Because that's off. That's messed up. If we're more concerned about 
making America great again, or if we're more concerned about being a Democrat, if we're more concerned about this planet and this world than we are in serving in church and preaching the gospel, you got it all turned upside down, right? You got it all messed up. We can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's not just for Abram. It's not just for people in the Old Testament or in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it tells us, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Again, family, this earth is not our home. May we live in this truth that if we're a Christian, we are to live as aliens and strangers. That's how we should be living. When someone says, hey, where are you from? You should say, hey, I'm an alien, right? Not an illegal one, but hey, I'm an alien, right? That's who I am. We are not from here. Our home is not here. Our eternity is not here. We are just passing through. We are just pilgrims passing through. May we be focused on heaven. May we have eyes for eternity, right? May that be what our focus is on. So we go back to Genesis chapter 12. Now in verse 10. It tells us, now there was a famine in the land. And so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. This is a great reminder to us. When we're obedient to the Lord, when we're walking in faith, there's no doubt that there are going to be blessings in our lives. But not every blessing is going to be a physical blessing. Just because you start obeying the Lord all the time doesn't necessarily mean your bank account is going to skyrocket, right? Or all of a sudden you're going to be driving in a Rolls or Bentley or anything of that sort. Many times the Lord allows us to go through trials so that we can see who we truly are. Or so others can see who we truly are. Our circumstances do not make us who we are. But how we react to our circumstances shows who we really are. Yes, there was a famine in the land. Yet God had called Abraham to Canaan. He did not call Abram to go south to Egypt. David Guzik, he says, Abram, he wasn't wrong for being concerned about the famine. He wasn't wrong for trying to feed his family. But Abram was wrong in thinking God would not provide for his needs in the place where God called him to live in. After all, God called Abram to Canaan and not to Egypt. Abram, like most of us, found it easier to trust God in a far-off promise than in the right now needs. And how guilty I am of that, how guilty each and every one of us are of that. That if you're here and you're a Christian, you say, hey, when I die, I'm going to heaven, right? Hopefully you have that boldness, you have that belief. But we've, I've never seen heaven before. I've never seen hell before. I've never seen what the judgment seat looks like. But yet when the Lord says, hey, Zach, be faithful in this, Lord, I don't know if I could do that. I trust my eternal security in you. But Lord, I don't know if I can be faithful in this. God, I don't know if I can give you 10% of my money. I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know if that's going to work out. I don't know if I can ask for different hours and work to go to more services. I don't think that's going to work out. 
you want me to take my kids more to church? I don't know if that's going to work out. They're not going to like that. They're not going to be happy with that. And we trust the Lord in these ginormous promises that we need to trust Him in. But we need to trust Him in the little things as well. And not having the fear of man and not having the fear and cares of this world be what fuels us and causes us to make certain decisions. In verse 11, it tells us, It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you're a beautiful woman. And that would have been sweet for Abram to stop right there, right? You turn to your wife and say, Baby, I know you're a beautiful woman, right? It's a great, it's a great thing. You could take some time. You could say that if you need to, right? If you haven't had a great week. But, man, it's so sweet for Abraham to say this. Abram is saying this to his 60-plus-year-old wife. If only he would have stopped right there. The problem is that soon Abram's flattery will turn into self-preservation and pushing his wife under the bus to save himself. It's important to know Abram lived to be 175. Sarai, she lived to be 127. So Sarai at 65 would really only be middle-aged, right? You can think of her in her 30s. And he's telling her this. There's a lot of cool things when you study about a lot of uh, Israel, people from Israel say that she's the most beautiful woman ever. They go to the craziness where they say every other woman compared to Sarai looks like a monkey. Why that's in commentaries, I don't know why, but it's in commentaries. But Sarai, she was beautiful. Abraham knew she was beautiful, and Abraham was completely right. In verse 12, it says, And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they're going to kill me, but they'll let you live. Please say that you're my sister so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. And Sarai, she was indeed Abram's half-sister, but Abram was using this fact to be deceitful and to try again to care for himself and his own self-interest, protecting himself through deceit instead of, again, trusting in the promise, trusting in God. Hey, God, if you say that you're going to build a nation through me, and God, you say it's one man and one woman in marriage, I know I'm going to make it. I know my wife's going to make it because we don't have any kids yet. So we can't die yet, God. We're untouchable. That's how, that's how Abram should have been living. He should have stayed in Canaan. He should have done all these things. Again, Abram, he needed to trust in the promise. It's the same thing for us, guys. We can't be focused on the trials. We can't be focused on the fears and on the failures. It will make you make a bad decision. When you're making your decisions based on fear, it's going to be a bad decision. When it's based on the Lord and on truth and on God's word and prayer and good counsel, you're able to make a wise and good decision. Robert Jameson, he says, his conduct was guilty and inconsistent with his character as a servant of God. It showed a reliance on worldly policy more than a trust on, in the promise. And he not only sinned himself, but he tempted Sarai, his wife, to sin also. Husbands, fathers, we need to be so careful about this. That because of our lack of faith and trust in the Lord, we're not going to cause our wife and our kids to fall into sin. Because we don't trust the Lord enough with our money or our time or our lives, that now it's going to cause our spouse, it's going to cause our kids to sin even worse than us. And what we have to realize here is not only is Abram putting his marriage in jeopardy, saying, hey, they're going to love you, just go and be with Pharaoh, but let me live. Again, what is he saying there? Hey, you may get married, you may stay there. Hey, you're my princess. You're going to be Pharaoh's princess, right? You're going to be like a, the queen of Egypt. 
it's insanity. And what Abram's doing is he's putting the entire promise and blessing on the line. That's what he's doing. He's putting that huge promise that God gave him out of you. I'm going to bless every nation. I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you people. He's putting all of that out on the line to protect himself, to protect his own flesh. And how often do we do that, family? The Lord has given us blessings that he wants to speak to us. He wants to love us. He wants to grow our relationship with us. And we're putting it on the line for fear of man. Verse 14, it says, It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful, right? He's looking at her. Honey, I told you, you're beautiful, right? Verse 15, Pharaoh's officials saw her and they praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And therefore he treated Abram well for her sake. And he gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Again, imagine this. Can you imagine Abram accepting all these gifts and all these blessings? Well, Pharaoh thinks, hey, one day this guy's going to be my brother-in-law. So we're going to go fishing together one day. We're going to go to the Dolphins game together one day. So I'm going to hook him up with cars and camels and houses. This guy's going to be my brother-in-law. But little does he know that he's lying through his teeth. Imagine the hurt and pain that this must have caused Sarai. Imagine the dysfunction that this man brought upon his own marriage, saving himself instead of his family. That's why Christ, what he caused the husband to do, is to die. That's what the Bible calls the husband to do. Hey, you need to die. You need to be like Jesus. And you need to die to protect the bride, to protect the church. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, if you're quick, you can turn there. And the, the amazing thing here is that Sarai, his wife, is having more faith in God than the father of our faith. Than Abraham himself. She's trusting in the Lord more than her own husband. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, it tells us, For in this way in former times the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. She wasn't afraid. She trusts in the Lord. She says, Lord, I know you gave us this promise. I don't know what you're going to do with this guy. But I know you gave us this promise. I don't know how we're going to get through this. But Lord, I trust in you. We don't see her slandering him. We don't see her talking bad about him. We don't see her saying, honey, you're out of your mind. I'm going to take the wheel and do this right. She submitted to him because she was submitted under the Lord. But again, imagine, imagine if she's like looking out of a window and she sees Pharaoh giving Abram all these gifts, right? And she's just sitting there saying, okay, all right, how many camels, how many donkeys, how many servants? Verse 17, Genesis chapter 12, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues, poor Egypt, right? With the plagues, with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And then Pharaoh called Abraham and he said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her from my own wife? Now then here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. 
I was listening to a teaching, and it's so true. This was one of those quiet trips home, right? <laughs> one of those quiet trips home. If you've been in a family or if you've been married, you've been there, right? You tell your wife, I got this great idea. It's going to work out. I just, Honey, I don't think that's going to work out. I think it's a terrible idea. No, no, no. I figured out it's going to this. Other. And then, boom, everything explodes. And <laughs> just driving quiet. You got nothing to say. Abram, he had nothing to say. And we could look at this and we could say, right, Abraham could look at Sarah and say, honey, it all worked out. You're alive. I'm alive. We got more donkeys. We got more servants. We got more camels. Baby, it all worked out. And sometimes in our disobedience, just because we don't get smacked or hit with a huge problem, we think, hey, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Hey, I lied. I cheated. I wasn't obedient to the Lord. And look at all these blessings. Look at this great deal. And yet we don't realize the consequences that we will face later on because of these small bad decisions that we're making. It's the same thing that happens here to Abram. We read through this and on the surface we don't see any huge problems in Abram's life. But let's turn to Genesis 16. Genesis 16 verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. And so Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Again, family, we don't know that because of Abram's disobedience and of Abram's lack of faith, and now it trickled down into her wife, and she said, this isn't going to really work out. My husband doesn't even believe it anymore, so let's just take this shortcut. We got these free slaves out of the deal, so let's just go for it. Abram didn't realize that even till today, we're still paying for the consequences of Abram's shortcut, of Abram being faced with a decision, Abram in the midst of a trial, and instead of trusting in the Lord, he allowed fear and reason to make his decisions. Family, we're going to be faced with trials. It's just a part of life. Saved, unsaved, believer, unbeliever, we're going to be faced with trials. And we need to make decisions focused on the Lord, not focused on the right things. And the trial will come and go and we think everything's fine, even though we were not biblical in our decision making and our choices. And those consequences, they will come later on, even though we thought it was small and insignificant. And we see it happen all the time. Hey, I got this new job. I can't make it to Wednesdays anymore. And then Wednesdays become Sundays, and then it becomes no days. And then months and years later, the marriage is just a wreck. Hey, what happened? Oh, I don't know. I don't even know how we got here. It's just these small decisions. My son and daughter, they say they don't want to go to youth group anymore. I don't know why. I don't want to force it on them. They stop going to youth group. A year or two years later, they graduate. They're in college, and now they get carried away into a crazy lifestyle. Man, what happened to my kids? How did they get here? Small, tiny choices. They have great consequences, guys. That's why it has to be full obedience, 100%, not playing games with the Lord. Donald Barnhouse, he says, but God is in the business of growing Abram into a man of great faith. And this requires circumstances where Abram must trust in God. Faith is not a mushroom that grows overnight in damp soil. 
It is an oak tree that grows for a thousand years under the blast of wind and rain. And family, if we want to be great men and women of faith, we have to go through trials. We have to go through rough circumstances because faith is believing even though we don't see it. Faith is trusting in the Lord, saying, Lord, you gave me this promise, but I don't even have food to eat right now. Forget a nation, forget a kid. How am I going to make it past tomorrow? And that happens to us all the time. We need to trust in the Lord. I think everybody here, you want to be a good believer, right? You don't want to just be a mediocre Christian. You don't want to just get into heaven still smelling like smoke. And man, how did this person get in here, right? Your white robes have a little bit of ash on them when you pull up into heaven, right? We want to be the best we can be for the Lord because he gave us his absolute best. But we have to make it through the trials. Well, good is a marriage if every time a trial comes, the husband checks out or the wife checks out. How good is an employer if every time there's a trial, they tell you, hey, we're going to fire you because we got the numbers aren't right, so I'm going to fire you. Then the numbers are good. Hey, we'll rehire you. Oh, the numbers are bad. Hey, we got to fire you. We need to make it through the trials. We need to show the Lord, hey, I really am thankful and grateful for you dying, taking my place on the cross. I should have been there. I should have died. And you took my place. And you don't make me a slave for forever. You call me a friend, a son, a daughter, an heir to the throne. We need to show the Lord that we're thankful to him. And it's not just by mouth. It's by actions, right? It's by actions. We all are there. It's not saying, hey, I love you, honey, and I'm taking your money. I'm taking your bank account. I'm sleeping around. But, honey, I love you. I love you. I love you. No, that means nothing. Is being faithful. That's the sweet thing about the Lord. He doesn't judge us by how many people we bring into heaven. He doesn't judge us by how big we are or strong we are, how big our ministry became. He judges us, hey, were you faithful? Were you faithful? I gave you two talents. Were you faithful? I gave you five talents. Hey, were you faithful? That's the amazing thing, guys. The Lord, he's not done with you yet. You're here. You're alive, right? Hopefully we don't have to call the ambulance at the end of service. The Lord, he's not done with you. And all you have to do is turn back to the Lord. Whether you've completely blown it, whether you've never been saved to begin with, all you have to do is turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry I've been trying to do this in my own flesh. I've been trying to do this in my own strength. And I keep failing. I keep hurting the people around me. I keep making things even harder instead of making them smoother through you and the things of you. And today's that day of salvation. Today's that day of repentance. As we looked on obedience, be quick to obey. Be quick to repent. Be quick to say you're sorry. Be quick to say, I was wrong. I messed up. Life is smoother that way. Be quick to do the hard thing because it's just that much easier to do it. 